I think Islam hates us. They have done nothing except wreak havoc and terror for our faith and our religion. We, when we stand up to those who oppress our communities, that Allah accepts from us that as a form of jihad. Foundations of society are fragile. We must be the shepherds of our own civilization. If anyone answers either yes or no without making necessary distinctions, both are not telling the truth. They're lying. Father, we pray that your word will become a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces. That you will raise up in this nation pulpits and prophets that will call the nation back to repentance. Will you distance yourself from those who think differently or will you join us at the table and talk about what is really important? This is the Maida Initiative, Conversation Without Compromise. So I'm titling this episode Pork Wars. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and uh, so, so the premise of this episode, right, is that we're going to examine the different beliefs about like dietary requirements for mm-hmm. Muslims and Christians. Mm-hmm. Now, for some common ground to start with, mm-hmm. I really believe we can both agree mm-hmm. that Peppa Pig is Haram. Mm-hmm. Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig. What's a the, pepper pig? Peppa I'm not pig, is... <laughs> so I'm not familiar with a pepper pig. Yeah. No, it's not. So it's this really irritating British kids cartoon show uh-huh. that if you have not been shown it by your kids, you can thank God because mm-hmm. it's the most annoying show mm-hmm. in all of existence, possibly. Uh, so, um, but on a more serious note, right, um, uh, one thing that kind of comes up a lot for me is both Islam and Judaism mm-hmm. both forbid the eating of pork. Right. So Christianity kind of seems like the odd one out, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. people kind of, there's a question I get uh, quite a lot and it's and it's become quite a fun one for me mm-hmm. uh but before we get to that what i want to um what i want to hear you do is kind of lay out uh, the sort of reasoning behind the islamic food laws and what those food laws are okay. in essence okay we don't have to list like every single animal right 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 um but the uh, the, the, the the gist behind it mm-hmm. um so i start with bismillah rahman rahim in the name of god uh, most mercy most great uh, most gracious most merciful um, and that's in peace and blessings upon Prophet Muhammad, um, his family and his companions, upon all the prophets, uh, peace be upon them all. Um, with the, the rules of food in Islam, um, I would say there's one fundamental principle that all the rules and laws of uh, food, and that is that um, it's in the Quran. Uh, God says about the prophet that he permits all that is good and pure, and he, he forbids all that is um, evil or all that is bad. Um, That's the verse of the Quran, which it means that he, the Prophet will permit any food that is pure and good, and he will forbid any food that is bad and harmful. Um, and so that's the rule that Islam follows, that food is, you know, anything that is good, that is healthy, that is beneficial, Islam is going to permit it. Um, unless there's some specific text to say like, oh no, this specific, you know, food or type of food you can't eat, then we don't eat it. And there, and, and we have this faith that, oh, this is forbidden because there is some harm in it, right? And so although we might not understand our harm, we believe that God in his infinite knowledge um, is forbidding this type of food because there's some harm in it uh, for us. Um, and so that's the general rule. Um, the, and then after, once we, ha- we, we, we take this rule, we look towards like the specific um, uh, evidences of Qur'an 
and also prophetic statements of the Prophet, uh, peace and blessings be upon him. And we see, like, what objects did they prohibit? Um, and, and so the scholars, they say, uh, the rule that we, we kind of, uh, we default to is that all food is permissible, except the, except the specific ones that uh, Revelation is specifically prohibited. Um, and so when a Muslim um, kind of like, you know, approaches food, he approaches it with the idea that this is permissible. Unless I find something telling me I can't eat it. So, you, you know, you can, you can approach it with like two ways. Right? You can say, oh, I can't eat this until I have proof that it's okay, right? Or you can be like, well, I can eat anything I want unless there's proof telling me that I can't eat it, right? Um, some Muslims have the misunderstanding, like, of the, they think it's the first way, that, mm-hmm. oh, you can't eat it unless there's something specifically that says, oh, you know, it's allowed, right? And, and that's wrong. That's a misunderstanding that um, people might have. But the actual default rule is that you can eat anything you want um, and uh, unless there's something of the Quran and Sunnah, uh, you know, the prophetic tradition to, to specify that object um, or, you know, to specify that food. Um, and so food is permissible. Anything that is good is permissible except that which is specifically defined. What are some of the things that are, you know, uh, uh, mentioned in the Quran that are like very repetitively mentioned? Um, alcohol, for sure, is something that the Quran mentions very clearly. Um, and it went through stages because when the revelation first started, um, the Meccan community uh, were a community that consumed alcohol. Um, and so the verses of Quran first prohibited um, uh, drinking alcohol, uh, coming to prayer intoxicated. Um, and then later on, the, the rules uh, gradually uh, forbade the entire consumption of alcohol and commanded the Muslims to abstain from it. And so from there, the Muslims have unanimously agreed upon this understanding of the tradition. They said that all of the previous verses that permitted some form of consuming alcohol were abrogated, and that the final ruling of Islam is that alcohol um, that is prohibited. And, and with that, the scholars also deduce that anything that intoxicates is also prohibited. All right, so um, like, for example, let's say a lot of modern forms of drugs and so on, um, anything that intoxicates the mind, um, and, and they say this is a form of alcohol, although it might not be the literal, you know, alcohol drink, but it, it has the same effects or worse, right? And so they say any type of, you know, thing that intoxicates the mind or, you know, that, that it affects the stability and, and the clarity of the mind um, is, is prohibited. And so under this, you have forms of drugs, even, you know, uh, weed, right? And, 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 and so all of these different, you know, things are, or, or, or consumption that people drink or eat or smoke for entertainment is, pre- is permissible. Um, uh, I'm sorry, it's prohibited. <laughs> you it again, guys. <laughs> no way, okay, I'm yeah. I'm going to edit that and use it as a commercial. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so all that is prohibited, right? And then another, um, a few other items that the Quran mentions are dead animals. Um, anything that has died before slaughtering is also prohibited. Um, and so, um, you know, animals that are, generally majority of animals are permissible to eat. Um, but if it's not slaughtered, um, and we'll talk about like who has to slaughter and some rules of slaughtering, but generally any animal that is dead before slaughtering, um, then that animal is prohibited and cannot be consumed. Um, even if it's a chicken or, you know, a goat or anything that we commonly eat. Um, it must be sacrificed. It must be killed by way of slaughter. Its cause of death can be electrocution or something else. Um, uh, another rule that it, we uh, follow are also that is Quran clearly defines as pig. We can't eat pig, um, and so and I think that's common knowledge. Like you know, I think all Muslims, um, regardless of like how much they practice Islam, 
99% of the time, like, they won't touch pig. You know, that's, like, one of the things that no one will compromise right, on, right? right? right, right. <laughs> Even people who drink, they're like, no pork. Yeah, no pork, right? So that's kind of, um, it's something interesting. I don't know what the cause for it is, um, but there's this, you know, I this I just a very bad, or kind of just, like, this fear of, like, eating pig or pork, you know? And and more than alcohol, right? So you'll find Muslims that might consume alcohol, although it's prohibited. And the sin is maybe as equal as eating pork, right? It's not like, oh, this is worse than the other. Um, but they'll do this, but they won't do that, right? So, but anyways, pork is prohibited. Um, and then another thing that is mentioned um, in the prophetic tradition are animals that have, um, that, that have, that hunt with their claws um, or that have claws um, uh, or, or fangs. Um, and so any animal that, that you know, has fangs or, or claws is prohibited. And so, um, uh, like, you know, lions, tigers, uh, predators, you know, uh, primarily you can say um, that, that hunt other animals that eat meat primarily. Not every single one, but these animals are prohibited. Um, you know, birds, um, you know, hawks, eagles, um, you know, and so forth are prohibited. Um, so these are some of the, um, you know, specific types of animals that were mentioned. Um, another general rule that applies also is anything that uh, harms the human body. Um, and, and this can be also unique um, from, you know, case by case. So if you're, if I'm allergic, let's say to, um, I don't know, let's say honey. Right. Uh, and I say I'm, you know, honey is permissible. The 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 this prophetic tradition that talks about the benefits of honey and so forth. Um, but let's say I have a certain allergic reaction to honey, um, and so honey would be prohibited for myself, um, and it would be a sin on me to consume honey if I know that my body can't right eat uh, uh, kind of it harms my body. So I think that's you know a general. Um, kind of overview of, of the rules of regarding to food and drinks. Um, do you have any questions or anything that's come across your mind? Yeah, 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 a few actually. Mm -hmm. um, so the so one thing, so there's a hadith I remember uh -huh. um, where there's a group of uh, Muslim warriors on a military expedition mm -hmm. and they come across a dead whale mm -hmm. and they're starving mm -hmm. and they eat it. Yes. And they go to they go back to Muhammad and they ask him, was this okay for us to do? Mm -hmm. And he's like, look, it, clearly this is provision for you mm -hmm. in this time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if a Muslim man is starving, mm -hmm. is it a sin for him to eat bacon? Mm -hmm. uh, if that, if, if he does, he's starving. What's the, what's the procedure for that? Right. And uh, that's a very good question. And yeah, you brought up two topics. Um, one that I, I should have mentioned, but um, now is the perfect time to mention with regards to sea animal, um, it's pretty much you can eat anything that mainly lives in water. Um, and so whales, sharks, dolphins, um, fish, crabs, um, you know, majority of scholars, Muslim scholars will pretty much, uh, they say that any sea animal that primarily lives in water is allowed. Um, you know, things like alligators and crocodiles and are a little more, um, you know, debated, but I think the majority lean towards this prohibition. They say no because it's more like a land animal than it is a sea animal, um, and so they prohibit that. Um, there's some talk about like um, crabs and lobsters, or and what's the ruling of that, right? If they can live both on land and sea, turtles, um, but majority permit 
if it's, if, if it's primarily an, a sea animal, then it's allowed. So with the whale um, and, and sea animal, you don't have to you don't have to slaughter any sea animal. And that's why when Muslims eat sea animal, um, they don't ask like you know is it halal or not. Mm-hmm. They just consume right away, right? There's actually a joke. One time a sheikh was laughing. He said, you know, he came by a grocery store and he said they had the halal sign on sea on seafood. You know, and he was mm-hmm. laughing because he's like. There's no haram seafood. All seafood yeah. is naturally halal, right? So um, that's a misconception sometimes people have. They think that the the um, prohibition or the rules of like slaughtering apply to sea animals. They don't. They have, they're have they all permissible um, in general. Um, as for like necessity. So practical application here. Mm-hmm. If, if, if there's a Christian with a Muslim friend in the audience who wants to take the Muslim friend to lunch, either halal restaurant or one that has seafood on the menu. Yep. That's 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 excellent. Yep, um, and and so the the second thing you mentioned, right? The the question was about like necessity, and and so necessity, you can eat. Um, a Muslim can eat. Um, you know, haram food, if there is no alternative, if it is life threatening, and he can only eat or she, you know, whoever it might be, can only eat the amount needed to you know suffice their need. Um, and so, um, if they follow these guidelines, um, then they can consume, right? So let's say if they're, you know, in a situation where there's no food around and they have pork in front of them, or they have nothing to drink, but some wine, or they have, um, you know, some type of situation like that, where there is no alternative, um, their, their life is at risk, um, then they can consume that and, and they, they must limit it to the, the amount of that they need. Um, and, and I think that's a generally agreed upon principle. I haven't heard any, um, I haven't read any literature, any scholar, you know, argue against that. So the, sort of the next question I have is just, just one of, I'm not especially going anywhere with it. It's just mm-hmm. interesting to me. So um, with the abrogation rule in the Quran, right, where mm-hmm. you have moderation first, then prohibition. Mm-hmm. So um, let's say you have a... Uh, somebody who's an Israelite mm-hmm. um, or a Christian, say, uh, 300 years before Islam, mm-hmm. um, w- is it still a sin for that person to have drank alcohol in moderation if they're not intoxicated? Mm-hmm. Uh, or is it something that it only becomes a sin when uh, it is prohibited in the Quran? Right. So we believe that you know the nations um each nation is obligated to follow the laws that were given to their prophet um and and that is what they will be held accountable you know according to um and and you know something that like in the early muslim tradition when muslims um you know when christians lived in muslim lands um you find that they allowed them to consume alcohol in private they didn't um prohibit that um, and the reason they did that was because they said your faith allows you to consume, you know, alcohol or permits it for you. So, you know, you're allowed as long as you don't do it in a way that conflicts our rules and values in public mm-hmm. um, and, and, and so on. So, you know, that, you know, the, I guess the, so the answer to your question is, um, no, you, a person is not held accountable to a rule that wasn't given to their prophet or their, you know, their book uh, of Revelation. And that they are obligated to follow what their faith requires. Um, and so the rule of alcohol being prohibited, we know it wasn't revealed in previous revelations, at least not in Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so uh, no one is held accountable for that. It doesn't, it doesn't become a sin 
until the Prophet Muhammad is sent. And once he's been given that prohibition, then that right that that sin and that prohibition is applied to to people. Right, right, right. So all the you see, you're saying all the other rules have a specific time, place, and mm -hmm. context. Mm -hmm. That now the, the the sort of mode of how God is relating to humanity has changed, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. you believe Muhammad is the final messenger mm -hmm. sent to all peoples everywhere, and that, that now is not that you impose that on everybody, mm -hmm. but that, that objectively that is now sin because it's been revealed through the final messenger. Yes, yes. Um, but why don't you talk to me about um, Christian teachings on food? I'm really, I'm, I'm really curious and ask some questions of my own. Yeah, okay. Um, so, um, so, so there's some, uh, there, and part of the reason I'm asking those questions is because there's some, there's some similarities, right? We both mm -hmm. have a certain like flow of revelation mm -hmm. of how God relates to different people at different times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so primarily I'm the, the, in the Bible, mm -hmm. um, food laws are not an absolute, uh, because they're given to a specific people for a specific reason. Mm -hmm. And it outlines what that reason is, right? Okay. So the first time that humanity is given permission to eat meat in the Bible in general is when Noah gets off the ark after the flood. Mm -hmm. And God says to him, um, it says, in Genesis 9, it says, um, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives on the earth shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Mm. So we believe that Noah has no specific uh, laws that he has to follow as far as food. Right? He can't mm. eat people, but any animal, the sons of humanity, were given permission to eat at that point. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then, but then when God speaks to the children of Israel, what he does, right? He calls Abraham out of the idolaters and says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. From him come Isaac and Ishmael. And God promises to bless the whole earth through mm -hmm. Abraham. Mm -hmm. but then Jacob and his sons, he turns into the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, then when he calls, then when God speaks to Moses and calls the people of Israel, which are much larger now, like hundreds of thousands of people at this point, he gives them laws for a specific reason right um and this in in the book of leviticus which is like the book of like priestly rules okay this is written by moses uh, -huh. uh this is where it starts de describing what the food rules are for mm -hmm. it says in leviticus ten ten, uh you are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean and you were to teach the people of Israel the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Mm -hmm. So basically, it's giving people categories in their minds of mm -hmm. clean and unclean. Okay. Um, so then it describes um, all these uh, animals that make people unclean to eat them. It would include the animal that died naturally as well. And included in here is pork, right? So that's mm -hmm. why um, Jews who eat kosher also do not eat pork like Muslims, because mm -hmm. of the book of Leviticus. Mm -hmm. um, and it ends this chapter by saying, and by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And mm -hmm. whoever carries any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not just eating, it's touching, and that makes you um, unclean. Mm -hmm. um, 
in um, in verse uh, in verse in chapter thirteen, it expands it from more than just being about food, mm-hmm. but also other conditions, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like leprosy, for example, which mm-hmm. is a skin disease. Uh, people could not enter the camp if they had leprosy, right? They right. were unclean. Right. So if you touch an animal, you're unclean. You touch a dead animal or unclean animal, you're unclean. Mm-hmm. You have leprosy, you're unclean. Another thing that it includes in this is um, touching a dead body, right? So in Leviticus 21, mm-hmm. it says anyone who touches a dead body um, is unclean because of that. Mm-hmm. And again, they have to go wash and they have to wait till the next day. Then they're considered clean again, okay. right? Um and then a woman who has menstruation is considered unclean while she is is menstruating, mm-hmm. and she's not. And what it functionally means to be unclean is not like a legal penalty, right? You don't mm-hmm. you don't like have to pay extra taxes for eating bad animals, mm-hmm. but it means that you can't enter the assembly. Mm-hmm. It means you can't go and pray and interact with God, right? Okay. So if, if a woman has come off her uh, period, or if someone had, had another form of uncleanliness. Mm-hmm. What it says in Leviticus 15 says, and the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, like sacrifices. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for un- her unclean discharge. Thus you, thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst, right? So tabernacle is this tent that people could go to, it would later be a temple, whether they would pray to God and there'd be sacrifices made for them. Right. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you're unclean, you cannot enter that that um, that tabernacle. Um, so, but even in the tabernacle, right? There's some people who can go to the inner part of the tabernacle called the priests, right? Where okay. all the sort of where all the sort of like holy parts are kept, mm-hmm. and they have to take extra precautions to make sure they're clean beyond what all the other Israelites would do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's one place called the the most holy place or the holy of holies mm-hmm. where there was something called the ark of the covenant mm-hmm. which was this sort of have you ever seen indiana jones no i haven't no. i like i've seen the commercials of it but like yeah. never actually watched the film so it's, it's based on this idea of this ark of the covenant which is this kind of golden box mm-hmm. that god would sort of speak from on top of mm-hmm. and uh and it says that um so aaron moses brother who's a prophet too mm-hmm. was only allowed to enter this room once a year Mm-hmm. So it says, so in uh, Leviticus 16, it says, um, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in a cloud over the mercy seat. But this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd, a sin offering, a ram for a burnt offering. So Aaron and the high priests after him are only allowed to go to that most holy place once a year. right? So what you're seeing in Leviticus is God's teaching people uh, lessons about boundaries mm-hmm. that a human is completely unworthy to enter into the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Aaron can only go through there with this animal sacrifice once a year. Mm-hmm. And the regular people of Israel, they can't ever do that. Mm-hmm. They can't even come into the assembly if they're unclean. Mm-hmm. So therefore, if you're not an Israelite, right? if you're not keeping the Jewish customs, being part of the sort of specifically Jewish religion, not mm-hmm. just religion though, but being part of their nation by taking on these customs, mm-hmm. you're not able to come close to God's presence. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the explicit reason given for this um, is um, is in uh, the same book in Leviticus. It says, 
Um, but I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I'll give you to it to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. So the argument Leviticus is making isn't that there's an inherent problem with any of these animals they're not allowed to eat, but that God has separated you from the people, and therefore you show that you're separate mm -hmm. by having these, right? So these laws are explicitly for the people of Israel, mm, right? Okay. Noah's descendants were not disobeying, mm -hmm. right? There's, mm -hmm. um, but these are set apart so the Israelites understand the difference between clean and unclean. Mm -hmm. So you have Gentiles separated from the Jews, Gentiles and non-Jews separated from the Jews, the Jewish people, the unclean Jewish people separated from the clean tabernacle, and then the high priest is only made clean once a year so he can go mm. before God. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the whole oper operating, right? The point is to show the distinction between Israelites and non-Israelites, and then the difference between people and God, mm -hmm. right? Just it, it illustrates these distinctions between people. Mm -hmm. So that's in the Old Testament, right? Which mm -hmm. I, as a Christian, believe. Mm -hmm. Yet I uh, eat bacon. I, I eat foods that are considered unclean mm -hmm. here, mm -hmm. right? So how do I get to that? Mm -hmm. So there's some very important distinctions in the New Testament from the Old Testament. The first is that this is all about this tabernacle, this temple, this holy of holy places, right? Mm -hmm. So as a Christian, I don't believe like the buildings I go pray in are holy or special, mm -hmm. right, ultimately, because, um, so Jesus himself, um, in, um, in the Gospel of John, uh, in the Gospel of John, um, he visits the temple in mm -hmm. Jerusalem, um, and it says in John chapter 2, the Passover, uh, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So what so functionally right, what it says here is that Jesus, who Christians believe is God incarnate, is doing the job of the temple, right? Mm -hmm. That instead of going to a tent, um, you go to a person, right? That's what Jesus means when he says he's the temple, right? Mm -hmm. the, the presence of God dwells um, within him, right? So what you see is that these themes of clean and unclean actually don't go away in the New Testament. 
mm-hmm. but it transform the way we operate with them are uh, transformed. So, for example, right, leprosy was one of the things that made somebody unworthy to come into the camp, right? Mm-hmm. And if you touched somebody with leprosy, you'd be unclean as well. Right. Um, but in Matthew 8, it says, um, When he came down, as Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So Jesus, the temple, instead of like the old temple, he doesn't become polluted when someone with leprosy touches him. The person with leprosy becomes clean. Mm-hmm. There's another instance where a woman who's been nonstop menstruating for 12 years, which of course means she can't touch, go into the temple, grabs Jesus' robe. And instead of making him unclean, as mm-hmm. would be the custom in old law, she becomes clean. Mm-hmm. Right? When Jesus touches the dead body, Jesus does not become unclean. The dead body comes back to life. Mm-hmm. So it's not a case that unclean and clean are suddenly forgotten about and done away with. But instead of having this holy, clean area that's walled off from this unclean world that's trying to get in, mm-hmm. the clean and the holy are now invading the unclean mm-hmm. and the unholy mm-hmm. and are transforming it to mm-hmm. look like the world God intends the world to look like. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, mm-hmm. that's what Jesus' life is. Um, so... Um, so uh, in Jesus' um, crucifixion, for example, um, there's a really important piece of all this. Um, actually, before we get to the crucifixion, mm-hmm. um, there's a very specific thing Jesus has to say about food laws, right? Because we've talked mm-hmm. about all these other things, but we haven't mm-hmm. talked about the food laws. Mm-hmm. So... Um, in Mark 7, Jesus is talking to a crowd of people. Mm-hmm. And what they're complaining about is he's breaking, not like the kosher law specifically, but Jewish ceremonial washings before dinner, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and Jesus says this in Mark seven fourteen. He says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So the point Jesus is making there is that the the, the sort of dietary laws and, and the sort of and the sort of like lessons we learn from those are not really the point, mm-hmm. right? That God is not God is not watching you eat your food with unwashed hands and being like oh gross you're a sinner mm-hmm. right that, that, that these laws about cleanliness are there to teach us that we have no right to come into god's presence and we're separate from him mm-hmm. right that's what all these laws do mm-hmm. you can't come see the ark of the covenant you can't come into the gathering and you can't um be a part of that right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and so again the, the center of this is this place called the holy of holies which only the high priest can enter mm-hmm. 
But when Jesus died um, on the cross, what Matthew says um, in Matthew 27, 50, says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He gives his soul into God's hands. 51 says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and rocks were split. So the idea is that when Jesus died on the cross, like those atonement, like that animal sacrifice that would let you into the, the priest into the most holy place and let other people into the temple, mm-hmm. is torn down. So that God is no longer uh, acting as, as someone to be protected. Mm-hmm. Um, not that God needs protection, but for the people's safety. But he's actually invading the world. That that barrier separating us from him mm-hmm. is now gone, mm-hmm. right? And... Uh, and, and so, what, when the New Testament deals with um, deals with food laws, it deals with so after Jesus is risen from the dead, uh, he sends out his people, and initially they're just preaching to Jewish people. Mm. Um, but um, Peter, who is the guy, he's kind of like the Abu Bakr of Christianity, if you like. Mm. Right? He's the guy mm. Jesus delegates um, with authority. Um, he is. On a roof, and it says this: The next day, as they were on their journey uh, pr- um, and approaching the city, Peter went up on a housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him: "Rise, Peter, kill and eat." But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And so basically, right after he has this vision of being told to eat unclean food and God saying, do not call clean what unclean, what God has called clean. Mm -hmm. He's contacted by these Gentiles, these non-Jews who, who have have been told by an angel to come get him. Right. Mm -hmm. So what he does is he goes with them to their house and he eats with them and he shares the gospel with them. And they all, they all say, okay, we believe Jesus, the Messiah we're in. Mm-hmm. And then God fills him with his Holy Spirit, his presence. Mm-hmm. And Peter says, truly, I understand now that God shows no partiality between Jews and non-Jews. Mm-hmm. But once, uh, but um, the, every place that people serve him, he will accept, accept them. Mm-hmm. Um, so then as the New Testament uh, goes on, um, we see in Ephesians, right, through what Jesus did on the cross, there's this idea uh, it's in Ephesians 2.11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by flesh, uh, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, the Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants and the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So at one point, you were cut off. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
So the idea is that for people who believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or if you're from a different country, that through what Jesus did on the cross, the way has been opened so that all of us can be made clean by coming into contact with Jesus, mm -hmm. right? And that we can all be part of his people. So now, right, um, it wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't, it, it's not, it's, it's not necessary for me to eat, keep dietary rules, which separate me from Jewish people, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, because of what has happened, it would actually be inappropriate for me to um, keep those rules because it's sending the exact wrong message, right? Mm -hmm. The exact, the, the message is come to Jesus, be clean. There are no barriers anymore. Come be part of God's family. And that is why I don't have, like, there's plenty of foods I avoid for my own distaste of them, mm -hmm. but I don't have any moral objections to anything except eating people. Yeah. You know, um, uh, a thought that occurred to me, and something maybe you can clarify, is the difference between spiritual cleansiness, like a cleansing, and, and, and physical cleansing, right? Or, or being physically clean and spiritually clean. Um, it seems like they're they're connected. Like, you know, if you're physically clean, it affects, you're unclean, then it affects your spiritual cleanliness, right? So that's why, for example, in the Old Testament, you're mentioning like, you know, the dead animals, the touching of dead animals, or eating pork, or, or something, or, you know, anything that's deemed unclean. Uh, you know, having something physically, um, you know, that makes you not clean, then that affects your spiritual cleanliness and your ability to approach God, right? Um, is that always true? Is physical, like, is that, you know, is there, is there a time where we kind of, stop, if you guys separate the two? So I, I actually wouldn't um, believe that. Mm -hmm. So, so um, again, so, so Noah, right, who was able to eat anything, mm -hmm. was not, it's sin itself that, that makes us unclean, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not that God is offended when somebody eats pork. But if someone in Israel ate pork, mm. they would have been disobeying God, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the disobedience that makes them unclean, okay. not the physical act of that. Yeah. Now, uh, so, so I, I do not, as a Christian, I do not believe there is any relation between physical cleanliness and spiritual cleanliness. Mm -hmm. Not to say that physical cleanliness is a bad idea, right? Mm -hmm. That you don't want to smell, you shouldn't want to be dirty and smell bad, right? Because it's not wise. But right? it's not. But it's not a. It's not a requirement. To be spiritually clean, exactly. With the coming of Jesus, that it removed that barrier, so that anyone, regardless of their physical cleanliness, they can be they can be clean. Yes, and they can they can be in the presence of God. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, that's very um, uh, interesting, and it's different than our teachings. Um, you know, because we we look at physical cleanliness and its rules and objectives. Um, in in a in a, a little different sense than that of like spiritual cleanliness and the rules that apply to spiritual cleanliness, um, so that's something that um, is interesting. Now, the, another question that I have is the this um, kind of right this change in laws that Jesus brought, um, peace be upon him, and this uh, you know this understanding and this belief that okay now anybody can be in the presence of God. Um, and that that limitation of um, you know having to be clean, having to you know, and and all those rules that apply don't exist anymore because um, you know God is kind of He's approached, He's entered our world, right? And so that barrier is gone. Is that a you know is that something that all Christians share, um, or is there a difference? Are there Christians, for example, that will still follow those 
old rules of not eating pork, not you know, regarding dead meat, and and so on. I think you would have a couple of sects that that don't like Seventh Day Adventists, for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. Um, and possibly the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm. But it's not like, um, but I, I'm not. But as far as like mainline historic ones, not mm-hmm. really. Okay. Seventh Day Adventism happens in like the 1800s, the same sort of time as Mormonism and. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a very old tradition. Mm-hmm. Ethiopian Orthodox, I honestly don't know. Okay. And I don't know how much modern Ethiopian Orthodoxy connects to, say, you know, third century Ethiopian Orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it's not something I come across regularly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, um, is there any, like, uh, uh, scripture about, um, you know, Jesus' diet or the diet of the disciples? Um, certain rules or any guidelines that they followed? The so, not they ate fish. They ate fish. Okay. Um, they went to the Jewish festivals, mm-hmm. but they never kind of explicitly say, "Okay, Jesus refused this, or Jesus ate this." So that you know, they're fishermen from mm-hmm. a fishing village, and they eat fish a lot. Yeah. Uh, they eat bread. They do drink wine. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it does say is that the the Pharisees and the the Jewish elders always washed their hands with ritual washing before they ate. Okay. And Jesus and his disciples did not. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, the reason I asked was, um, you know, like, are there examples, right, of like what Christians or, or, you know, what Jesus ate, right? And so that if a person wanted to maybe, you know, follow some type of religious, right, like um, example, do they have that? Um, but... Yeah, and, 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 and that brings me to another question about uh, something a little more modern um, is, you know, the idea of, of meat, consuming meat, right? There's a lot of talk about being vegan or vegetarian, um, you know, the harm of eating, consuming meat, and, and so on. Um, you know, is there any mention of, like, or, or any, I guess, any of you, what are your thoughts about that? You know, how, how, does, how does Christianity approach this topic? So how does... Um... Christianity approach the idea of meeting eating meat in general. Yeah. So I think that's actually the perfect breaking point to jump into the after show. Mm-hmm. So if you guys want to hear uh, the thoughts about Islam and Christianity and vegetarianism, um, come come join us for the after show. Okay. Uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week with another episode of the Almeida Initiative podcast. Thank you, guys. Please like and subscribe for more content every Wednesday. It helps more people see these videos and join in this important conversation. If you want to see more of this conversation, check out the after show right here, or you can watch last week's episode. <sighs> this British guy costume is really hot. Can you bring me some water? I don't think I have any